Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Upon President elect Joe Biden's inauguration, there will be a Democrat controlled government for the first time since 2011. Mark Begich moderates a conversation with Al Motter, Greta Joins, and Lakeitha Anderson to unpack how the 117th Congress, controlled by the narrowest of margins, and a new administration will change policy, politics, and process in Washington, D.C. Welcome to the Brownstein Podcast Series. I'm Mark Baggage. We have some great people joining us today. Al Motter, Senior Democrat Strategist and former counsel on the Senate Commerce Committee. Greta Joins, a Republican strategist with years of experience on Capitol Hill, where she served as Deputy Chief of Staff and Legislative Director to Representative John Shemikas and Lakeitha Anderson. Only with the Brownstein team for a few days, we welcome you. She led the government relations effort for a large consumer goods company and has extensive experience navigating Washington, both in that role, but also in her personal advocacy for the Congressional Hispanic Leadership Institute and the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation. So Democrats are in control. We probably couldn't say that several days ago, but today it's a different ballgame. So the conventional wisdom among people is who don't necessarily follow the politics as we all do and engage at the level that the Brownstein team is, that Democrats control all the levers. They'll be able to make things happen and stuff will just start flying through legislatively and magic will happen and laws will pass and the economy will grow and all those things we hear about. But Senate's 50-50, the House has a slim majority, and the president is a new president with not his cabinet in place yet. So let me kind of start maybe with Al and give us kind of your thinking on what this means. I mean, people are probably thinking out there, oh, the Green Deal is going to pass, big tax reform legislation, stimulus will hit the ground by May and we'll have jobs tomorrow. Am I right or wrong on that? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, some people may be thinking that, Senator, but it's not exactly what's going to happen. And the reason is what you stated, which is that the Senate's 50-50. And in fact, I would also point out that the House has a very, very narrow margin, the narrowest it's had in many, many years. Uh, Speaker Pelosi only enjoys a, a, a very slim margin and can only afford to lose several votes before she loses her majority. So anything that passes both chambers and is signed by President-elect Biden is going to have to be something either done by reconciliation or done with some bipartisanship or done in a manner that every single Democrat votes yes. And that's not easy to do. And the the items you ticked off like Green New Deal or big tax increases um, or major, major stimulus legislation probably can't garner all 50 of those Senate Democrats. What do you think, Al, um, you know, who, who's going to be those go to people that the Biden administration utilizes? You know, it's obviously clear that the Biden administration is putting a lot of people who have a lot of experience in Washington, you know, a lot of knowledge. But who, who are they going to go to in the Senate or maybe the House, but to say, help us with our agenda or packet? Yeah. So two answers. One is a group answer and one is a specific answer. In terms of groups, the key folks for Senator Biden are not going to be the left fringe of the party, but actually the moderates, the ones who have to decide, do I sign on to this, despite the fact that my state is more conservative than most Democratic states or congressional districts? So he's got to work with them. And he has a history of having done that both when he was in the Senate and when he was vice president to President Obama. 
In terms of specifics, I would look to Senator Chris Coons from Delaware, with whom he has an incredibly strong relationship, who has a history of bipartisan achievement in the Senate, and is someone who Vice uh, President-elect Biden really, really trusts and listens to, and particularly look to Coons on anything involving foreign policy. And then I would look to Senator uh, Harris, Vice President-elect Harris. She just left the U.S. Senate. She is friends with and colleagues with virtually all the people who are in that body. And I imagine he will utilize her much like President Obama utilized him in deputizing her to go up and help lobby for and enact his legislative agenda. So, Lakeitha, let me follow up on that about uh, incoming Vice President Harris and uh, her role. You know, she, it's kind of unique. Uh, she's leaving the Senate, but she's not going to go too far. Uh, they have a Senate office actually for the vice president right there off the chamber floors. It's usually vacant. Uh, I have a feeling it will be more occupied than ever before. But what do you see kind of her role or her, what's the play there? I think Senator Harris's role will be much like uh, Senator Biden, for, former Senator Biden's uh, role under former President Obama. Um, she's president of the Senate, she's friends with the Senate, but she can bring a sense of normalcy back to Congress. Um, we, I think the benefit for having them both there because they both are senators and they're both people who were great sort of compromisers, right? President uh, Biden definitely uh, was the one who could easily move around the Senate and I think she would do the same. Although, uh, we have to remember she is a progressive, right? She's from California. So I think that could be a good thing for her. You know, when we're talking about normalizing uh, to make the cut the deals that will be needed in the future. But also, she's a member of the Congressional Black Caucus, too. And you're going to need that block vote. Uh, in order to get most done, right? And I think everyone's looking for a different change, looking for a swing and uh, what we've seen in the past. And my word there is normalcy. Do you think she'll be able to help, it sounds like you said it, with some of the progressives to keep them, uh, this is probably not the right word, but uh, at bay or at, you know, not be so aggressive with their agenda, but more of a managed agenda? I believe she will be. It's going to take some time because they've been on the defense for so long and pushing right. so hard for so long. So it's going to take them a minute to also realize the new normal that we're facing. Uh, but she speaks their language as well. Somewhere down the line, the word progressive became a bad word. And to me, right. progressive policy only means taking consideration the everyday man, the everyday woman in consideration, the real people, right? And and that's what every senator or House member is sent to Washington to do, to make sure that their constituency is taken into consideration. And I think we'll start to move back to the center. We worked uh, on the fringe for so long on both sides that I think there's a need to bring everyone back to the center. And I think she'll help navigate that that, that, uh, that move. Let me ask you, uh, for all three of you, and I'll probably start with Greta on this one. Um, you know, again, what's unique about Brownstein, we have a great team of people, both Republicans, Democrats. We look at all these issues from, you know, what's the best for the client? How do we work through this? So the first hundred days in a presidency is always kind of this pretend, you know, analysis. First hundred days, we got to do all this. The only reason that hundred days sits there is because 
uh, it was to try to prevent people working in the summer. I can't remember it was Roosevelt year because there was no air conditioning. And they wanted to get done in 100 days, the agenda. People may not know that history, but we got 100 days. Everyone talks about it. We got a 50-50 split, tight margin on the House. What, what do we think is going to happen uh, legislatively from your perspective, Greta, and what you hear from your your former colleagues and friends on the Hill? You know, I think that, you know, albeit obviously that, you know, the tragic events that occurred in the Capitol last week. And, you know, I think first and foremost, you're going to see a lot of dealing with the fallout. I, I would imagine that uh, President Biden will put a freeze on, on most of the executive actions that um, President Trump took, you know, in, in the last month of office or something to that to that effect, or at least institute some sort of review on on those. Um, and I would expect Congress to follow suit to start looking at all of the decisions that the president made here in, in the near term. In terms of like broader legislative policies, I think that the Biden team um, and President Biden himself really wants to focus on, on COVID and vaccine rollout. Um, you know, I, I think that there has been some frustration that, you know, maybe the president-elect feels that he boxed himself in a little bit with the numbers that he initially promised to roll out. And I think that that is probably proving a little bit more difficult than initially expected, especially given that when you look at some of the vaccine distribution numbers and in traditional blue states that do have the largest population, like New York and California, it's not going that well there. And so how will President Biden, you know, from the federal level attempt to work with states that are having difficulties with that. And, you know, what does that involve? Does it involve the National Guard or does it involve other options that, that you know, are available to the president? Um, two, I think that the $2,000 um, COVID relief checks, I think that's something that could probably pass fairly quickly when we come back. Um, I, I think that, you know, these populist type of things that I think will be impactful to Americans, I, I think certainly are going to be a priority for President Biden. And I think he'll rely on Vice President Harris to really start doing outreach to progressives to buy into maybe some of the things that they wouldn't normally be as supportive of. But I think her job is really going to be to sell the progressive agenda to those members. Now, I do think that, and you know, Senator Begich, I'm sure you can speak to this as well, but you know, the, the Biden-McConnell relationship is something that I will really be watching as we start the beginning of the year. I think that the events that happened, you know, as I said, were obviously terrible, but I, I do think that the conversations that are gonna happen between Mitch McConnell and Joe Biden after the fact, given that they're both creatures of the Senate, the respect, and the importance of the institution isn't lost onto either one of them. I do think that is a, going to be a really um, solid opportunity for them to start off the new Congress in the new year on, on a different tone than maybe we would have expected. Yeah, let me add to that before I ask Al and Lakita to, to also respond on the 100 days. I wanna, you know, as someone who served in the Senate, no, no, knew both of them and I think you're right. This next two to three weeks will really start to tell. And even I think I can't remember which news outlet had the behind the scenes response of McConnell regarding the impeachment and what he thinks about it. And in the past, it might have been, you know, no, but hell no. But it wasn't that. It was more let the process roll through. And I think this is a moment. And both of them, President-elect Biden 
and Senator McConnell are creatures of the Senate, as you described, Greta. And I think because of that, they understand the value of the institution, but they're also deal makers. They understand the value of getting things done for their own political agenda for their respective groups, but they also see the opportunity. And I think this is a unique moment that is going to change. It could change people's viewshed on how to deal with politics in Washington that a lot of us have quietly and loudly said publicly need to happen in order to get things different. Because if it's just going to be grind out who's going to win the next presidential election and beat on each other for four years, the progress of this country will be pretty much stalled. You know, people sometimes say, you know, elections have consequences. Words have consequences. And what they say and the actions they do from impeachment to legislation, confirmation hearings, and that flow of activity will set the tone because others will see that. And in any group, I don't care if it's 100 senators, leaders need leaders. And in that 100-member Senate, as an example, there'll be these key people who will say X, and then things will start to happen. So it's, I think it's an interesting point. I would not have said this six months ago. Uh, I would have said it's going to get politics as usual, beat on each other until you know whoever survives for the next presidential. Let me flip to Al, and you know you you heard Greta and I kind of talking about what we think the personalities and so forth, but also the, the hundred days. Yeah, I mean I, I think that. Uh... We're in a really strange time at the very moment that we're recording this. The House of Representatives is debating whether to impeach the president of the United States. And anyone who watches those short one minute or 30 second speeches sees a high level of vitriol and anger on both sides of the aisle. What's going to so that's the context in which we head into next week and to the first hundred days. I think, however, that in counter to in the past, when these types of exercises have led to more acrimony. My hope is that we still have an opportunity for some constructive bipartisan engagement. Both Republicans and Democrats need solutions and success to move on from not only from Donald Trump, uh, but to move toward the, re, uh, the 2022 elections. President-elect Biden needs success to help his Democrats keep both the Senate and the House. Leader McConnell uh, and McCarthy need success to help them take back their chambers. And so as long as the requests are reasonable, uh, Greta alluded to some of them, like COVID relief and some uh, uh, stimulus that's not too aggressive, I think there's an opportunity for both Democrats and Republicans to work together on meaningful legislation uh, in the space of economic stimulus, infrastructure, maybe some drug pricing legislation, and uh, some modest direct payments to consumers um, to help them get out of the mess that was foisted upon them by this government. Lakeitha, let me, again, you're kind of the new member of the team here, which again, from the Brownstein Hyatt team, we, we love it. Uh, again, bringing uh, great new talent. But what are you thinking on the first 100 days? You know, I think the first 100 days is COVID, 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 COVID. I think COVID, getting a handle on this pandemic will help in every way that Al, both Al and Greta just described. It would help in the economic relief. You know, stores have been bankrupt and closed because of COVID. It will help in the state and local taxes part, right? Because a lot of states are, you know, like like New York has a $600 million budget cut. And it all goes back to COVID. 
um, unemployment, all of these things, healthcare disparities, all of those have been blown up because of COVID. And so I think uh, Congress has to be serious and take it seriously on on solving that problem, the rollout of the vaccine. You know, all these things will help normalize and help get the country back on track. Very good. It's, let me, uh, Greta, I'm going to go back to you on one thing. I, I, as we were just talking about the 100 days and we were talking about the Biden administration and so forth, is there one or two items from the Republican side that says these are the things that they're going to work on next year that you're hearing among, again, Republican uh legislators and staffers is there something that's kind of burning out there or they are kind of a wait and see Biden administration package um you know I think right now um House Republicans and I I guess Senate Republicans too you know I think they're certainly going to be in a react type of mode I I do think that um the Senate will be certainly focused on confirming Biden nominees um I I think that those will probably move um, fairly quickly or at least quicker than maybe I would have thought a a few weeks ago. I do think there will be a lot of focus around COVID vaccine deployment, what the federal government should be doing. And two, um, I think to Lakeitha's point, I think where the administration wants to go to provide small business relief. Um, I think that's really going to be critical you know, when you look at sort of the swath of small businesses that have been uniquely impacted by COVID, namely um, restaurants, hospitality-focused, tourism-focused businesses, these are the ones that I think are probably going to be able to come in and say, you know, we we have been uniquely impacted and our ramp up is, you know, we're not going to be able to fully reopen in 2021 or maybe even 2022 you know, where is the help that's going to come for us? And I I think that, you know, the states are just not going to be able to provide that type of support. So it is going to fall in the federal government. But there is going to be a lot of questions, I think, from the Republican side on, you know, they're not going to want to create new, you know, programs run by the federal government to which these businesses become dependent on that they're going to be expected to continue to provide funding for, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. And I I think that's um, something that Republicans are relatively united on, but it's it's a question of no one wants to come out and be not supportive of helping small businesses. But in in that same vein, how can we do it in a way that, um, you know, provides an end date certain? And and that is and that really gets into the tricky part of it. I think there will be um, bipartisan support for $2,000 checks, um, certainly enough to get it to the president's desk. Um, I think that there, you know, there are certainly going to be some unique growing pains, particularly in the House, as, as they deal with um, their ability to have more effect on the conversation um, than they would have prior to November. You know, a very small majority. While it is problematic for, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi, it's also really going to be difficult for House Republican leadership to manage, too, because if they peel off a few of their guys who are going to vote with the majority on something, then that really sort of upends the united nature that I think um, Republicans or at least House Republican leadership was hoping to have going into 2021. I think that um, the the moderates have now realized, in particular the freshman moderates, 
that they have a lot more power here than maybe they, they initially appreciated. And I think they're going to wield that in a way that is beneficial to them. Let me ask you one quick one. Then I got two last questions. We're coming close on time, but uh, liability, that was a big conversation at the end of last year. And it's kind of the, the, the fight between liability and um, government or state and local government ended up falling out of the last year. Do you think that will be uh, a drive by the Republicans uh, liability protection for folks in the business community regarding cares? I, I think liability protection is going to be a focus. I think it's a real question of how long does liability protection last, right? And um, is that something that that is the give, um, you know, as you negotiate with Democrats on that, you know, could you potentially look at, look, we'll provide liability protection for 2020 and 2021, but beyond that, you're responsible. Um, I, I, I don't know. I, I certainly think that um, going into what will be a very tight midterm, Nancy Pelosi is not going to feel really super comfortable with um, cutting deals that are going to tick off the you know trial bar. So I, I, I think it's it's a really delicate balance. I would be surprised if something that we call liability reform didn't pass. But you know I think it's a question of will Republicans actually say that it is, and um, will there be enough Republicans who peel off to say something is better than nothing? Yeah, good point. Senator, I think it, I think it will happen. I think that uh, President-elect Biden supports some form of limited liability relief along the lines of what Greta just outlined, maybe a temporary relief of a year or two. So I think it's still very much on the table and it's a bargaining chip for Mitch McConnell to uh, to utilize and, and that he'll be successful in utilizing. So Al, while, while you're on here, I want to ask you about um, the tools that Democrats will have if they got these tight margins are there some tools they can use and also people will start bantering around the thing called the bird rule which is not about viewing birds it's a, a piece of legislation that senator bird utilized to limit certain activities with the budget uh, reconciliation bill but what are the tools that democrats might have and could use so i think that um there's a couple things one there's a process called reconciliation whereby uh, Congress can pass legislation by mere simple majorities. As, as people, most people know in the Senate, uh, legislation needs to overcome uh, objections to move forward, and therefore you need 60 votes to do that. But if piece of legislation is under what's called this reconciliation process, you only need 50 plus one. Uh, the limit on that, however, is that it can only be used a couple times a year. The burden rule limits the type of provisions that can be in such legislation. And uh, to uh, get around the burden rule, you need 60 votes. So it does limit the ability to pass things. However, a reconciliation was used most famously and recently to pass the Affordable Care Act under President Obama. Uh, it was used also by President Bush and Republicans successfully to pass legislation and President Clinton to pass legislation. And so I would look for that to happen sometime in the first three to six months of this year. I would note with respect to the limits included in the bird rule that uh, the parliamentarian of the Senate becomes very important because he or she can decide whether or not something is subject to the rule. And, and this has only happened once in our history, but if the uh, presiding officer, which could be Vice President Harris, 
disagrees with the parliamentarian's decision, she can overrule it. So you could have a situation in which Democrats really want to get something done on stimulus or healthcare or infrastructure or some sort of key element of the, the president's agenda, and they decide to do that. But there are hurdles, as I outlined. So, Lagitha, this may be the last uh, comment or question opportunity for the team here. But, you know, uh, as Al just laid out and Greta, kind of these agendas, these items, you know, in the past, you know, I can say this as a former senator, that the House was the radical group, you know, Republicans, Democrats, doing all kinds of crazy stuff over there. And it was the calm, collective uh, process of the Senate that would bring calm and good thinking to what was going on. Is that still the case anymore uh, or will be the case in the future, I guess, is the question. Uh, again, sometimes the House would always say the Senate was where the things were sent to die. Uh, we would always say, no, we would be thoughtful in the process. <laughs> so what's your, what's your thought there? And uh, then I'm going to ask a general question to everyone to close it out, but please. So I, you know, it's, it's a very, a very interesting question. I do believe the Senate is the Senate, right? And I do believe they will still operate as the same as the adults in the room, if I may say, right? Which is what we've, always known and the house has been where everything is thrown up against the wall and you see what sticks right and the senate has been the more thoughtful organized strategic house you know side of of it but again i go back to where we were just what a week ago and i do believe everyone wants to kind of get back to that because no matter what label you put on it before things got done right? Before the last four years, right? Things got done. And so, and so I do think we talked about the stopgap before the Senate being that I think more will be analyzed and thought about before it passes. And, and I think things will be thought about in a way that protects the country and the people of the country. And I think we've all been wanting to get back to that. So I say, uh, yes, I believe we'll get back to the way things were, <laughs> as, as Barbara Streisand used to say. <laughs> you know, I have faith that it will do that. And I think that the House has a function and the Senate has a function. And, and once we get back to those functions, we may be able to govern in a bipartisan fashion, hopefully. Very good. Well, let me close out with this and just say, you know, as we... You know, we all deal with clients, uh, Brownstein, uh, on a regular basis. We have a variety of clients from associations, corporate, you name it, we have them. Uh, we love them. Uh, but, you know, right now they're asking us, is there, is there something we, they need to do differently in advocating and considering their issues or their access or non-access into this new world we're entering? And I guess, let me start with you, Lakeith, and then I'll ask Greta and Al to comment. And is there, is this calculus, is this process that we need to advise our clients a little different or is it the same business as usual? Um, I think it's different. I think it's both, Senator. I think it's, it's business as usual and how clients will advocate and how we will advocate for clients. But I also think it's different in the way that, and how we, in which we do that. Um, I think in the last four years, we've been used to uh, a different way in a different home. Um, 
But I do think advocating for their own objectives is still the game in town. Um, how we do that, more collegial, you know, more, uh, more consideration of others, uh, but knowing the unintended consequences that can come from what you're pushing uh, and realizing that it's not, you, we're not kicking the door down anymore. You know, you're not busting it wide open and planting your flag uh, there. I, I think it's more of a measured um, uh, interaction or more of a measured engagement. And, and, uh, and I'm new to the firm, but, you know, been lobbying a long time. It's the common ground. You know, what do we have in common? What do you have in common with whoever you're reaching out to? I think the common ground always gets the message across, no matter where you are. Very good. Greta, you might remember four years ago, because we've had conversations as, as a team, some of our clients were worried about they didn't want to be on the Twitter feed uh, by this current president. And that process is going to change. But I remember those were bits of advice people were asking for, which I never would have predicted that would we would be entering that conversation. But what do you think? Uh, the way we uh, talk to our clients or clients need uh, access or information and their issues? You know, I, I I do think there is a desire for people to return to normal and to, you know, have normal meetings and, and not have sort of these um, insane things that you have to think about in addition <laughs> to, to just sort of going in to talk to people to explain, you know, what what your issue is and, and how, you know, it could be fixed. Um, but, you know, emotions are high right now, um, for sure. I, I do think that, you know, there's nothing that's going to heal that more than the passage of time and, and the trust in, in folks and individuals that, you know, at the end of the day, we may have differing opinions, but ultimately we're all trying to do the right thing. And, um, you know, I, I do think Trump not being in DC anymore will ultimately lower the temperature. And, um, you know, I think may, maybe the one thing um, good about COVID in, in these times is that, um, you know, maybe everyone being a little bit separate for a bit will, will help sort of fuel that healing. And um, anyway, that's, that is my hope for January 2021. Anyway, Senator. So in other words, separation makes the heart grow fonder. Uh, so, <laughs> I hope so. Al, I hope so. I feel like a group hug is about to happen here, but uh, let me uh, ask out what 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 do you think or you know what what are we advising our clients here? We don't want them to go in and hug everybody, but uh, what what's our what's our advice? I mean, uh, clients need to be concerned first and foremost with reputational and brand harm. Uh, be responsive to their shareholders, their board, and their employees. And I think you see a lot of companies and corporations responding to those pressures. I would note. Um, when a corporation decides to make a statement um, on a moral high ground, which is an entirely appropriate statement, critical, say, of the president or some of the Republican members who voted, for example, to object to the certification of the electors, that same company can also go out and hire a Republican to help them. And so there are ways around some of these uh, perceived uh, bans on activity. But what will be more interesting to me is not how the corporate community responds, but how do Democrats respond over the next six months? And are we gonna have sort of a redux of, some of you may recall the famous 
K Street project where Tom DeLay, who was the majority leader in the Republican Party 20 years ago, tried to ban his members from meeting with companies that weren't represented by Republicans. And you see some hints of that in some of the statements recently by some Democratic members who have suggested that their staffs won't meet with companies who don't denounce either the president or the objectors or that that some committee chairs have suggested they might not even consider legislation for members who've taken those stances. I don't believe that will really be the case for long, but it certainly augurs for some acrimony in the short term. Well, thank you very much. You know, you guys give me uh, a little thought first. I want to thank Al and Greta and Leticia for being part of this today. Uh, Lakeitha, welcome again as a new member. Uh, we're we're, we enjoy this from a Brownstein perspective, uh, doing these podcasts and making sure people understand what I what I saw today. And just to summarize, is you know I do believe you know it will be interesting to see the leaders that will lead the leaders uh, in this process. And uh, if anything, history does teach us uh, a lot about what to do in the future. And last, I think from all of you, what I heard was a hopeful, optimistic opportunity. And uh, I think, Greta, you said it, a desire for normalcy. I think we all do that uh, in our life. But again, thank you all very much for being part of this podcast and appreciate your time. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein High at Farber Shrek podcast series. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Visit bhfs.com for more information.